Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. With me today, as always, is Dr. David Gushy, and uh, we, we're not really sure what we're supposed to talk about. I mean, it's been really a slow news cycle, and there's... there's not there's, much going on. Yeah, it, it, it's a tame time. It's really, it's been a quiet year, if we're all being honest. Um, everyone's acting ethically. There's no questions for the church to deal with. Um... So, I mean, I guess we'll just hang out a little bit. Okay. Um, we, yeah, we can just kind of talk since there's nothing going on. Um, good grief. That's <laughs> that's hard to even do. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. And we've we've been busy. How, uh, are, you, how well, are you? Hello. I'm good. Um, I feel a little more optimistic today. And maybe I'll save it for the show. But personally, we're all still healthy. Uh, we just celebrated our Melody's second birthday. Um, and uh, I feel like my work is progressing steadily for the summer. I'm preparing for the genocide class again, uh, the moral leaders class, and working on that Job commentary. Okay. And preparing preparing to start writing uh, you know, for Baptist News Global regularly starting at the end of the month. Uh, but I'm kind of tired of uh, lockdown. Um, it's I miss my Braves. You know, three yes. months without Braves in the summer. You know, um, I haven't been out to a restaurant since March 13th. So Jeannie and I are going to go to our favorite place on my birthday. We're going to give it a shot. That's so, so good. You gotta you gotta patronize those places that you want to see exist. Yeah, they may yeah. not. I actually went to a restaurant last night. The uh, one of my um, recently graduated students called and asked if I would meet them somewhere. So went out to a Chili's. I think it's getting to be time to to see some people face to face. I I don't think yeah I don't think that's impossible now. Yeah, and it seems like the that restaurant was being responsible while we were there. We were seated in the the bar area, and as a sports bar, it's very strange when they're showing reruns on every screen. <laughs> yeah, very weird, yeah. weird feeling. Fine. I've just replaced my air conditioner, so I'm moving back into my house, um, which is it's fun to have an eight month old whose routine is completely thrown off. That's just delightful. But this morning, she did sleep. Until 7 a.m. So that's the latest she has ever slept. And that's nice. It, it feels... The angels, the angels are singing right now in the hall, in the hall world. It's so true. It's been, <laughs> it's been really hard with all the stresses of COVID and church life and church decisions and the protests and the calls for justice and the questions about riots and looting and the behavior of our leaders... And all of that, and I, I just finished um, the a summer seminar uh, at the seminary, and the baby doesn't sleep. I mean, that's just a lot. Um, something I, I do want to share with all of our listeners is that I'm uh, recording an episode today, the first episodes of another project called Virtually Church, where we're, uh, me and Jordan and Taylor Mason, a pastor and PhD student in St. Louis, are talking about questions of technology and community and how they affect 
the church. So that that's exciting for me, and I hope you'll join us over there. Dr. Gushy will be one of our guests on an episode soon. So if you if you enjoy this, you'll have a chance to hear us banter about something else somewhere else. But today we're here, and there's a lot to talk about. Um, jokes aside, what's David? What's striking you from the news cycle? Because there's a lot. And now there's maybe a meteor that's going to hit us, which honestly might be a nice reprieve. <laughs> I had not heard about the meteor. Yeah, um, I started seeing that yesterday. There's a meteor that might hit us, and the Yellowstone supervolcano uh, is showing signs of activity. So that would take care I of... Might the- have, <laughs> yeah, I might have to switch up and become a premillennial dispensationalist real soon. There's a, a meme so, that I like that says, uh, when you step out in the morning to see which chapter of Revelation we're doing today. <laughs> um, well, why don't we start, in all seriousness, um, with the uh, event in Minneapolis. Um, something, um, something about the absolute uh, terror and awfulness of that murder in the street Um, and the fact that uh, there was video that everybody, millions and millions and millions of people could see both of the beginning of the police stop then the agonizing nine minutes minutes, nine minutes of um, so-called by the neck with the police officer seemingly casually choking the life out of George Floyd. Um, and the, the camera right there, and the, the outraged voices of the onlookers who are just feet away are being blocked from doing anything by the police cordon around uh, Officer Derek, or ex-officer Derek Chauvin um, and George Floyd as he was killing. Um, something about the heinousness, the public wanton cruelty snaps, snaps uh, the patience, whatever praying patience was left on the part of African Americans, as well as, here's an encouraging bit of news, I think, as well as millions of white people who also, either for the first time or for the hundredth time, shared in the outrage. Right. The uh, the allies have been activated. Yeah. And um, I think the ferocious street protest of the last eight to ten days as we record um, also may have had something to do with the pent-up misery from the lockdown of three months and uh, 40 million unemployed. Yeah, the, the and, overall sense of hopelessness has been uh-huh. dialed way up. Yeah, and the sense that our, my opinion, but that our president has nothing to offer that can really help us. Mm-hmm. Um, so he symbolizes all of the problems, um, most especially white indifferent to black suffering. And, I mean, that's a nice way to say it. So, so it's like America decided to come out from behind its locked doors. 
for over a week of massive protests. So I've watched a number of these homemade videos over the years. Um, you know, Philando Castile and, uh, you know, Eric Garner and so many others. Something about this one, it, it pierced my soul in a way that was definitive. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think he's there, he's saying, I can't breathe when he cries out, Mama. It's the cry of dereliction of every person, you know, crying out for their mom when, when their mom is nowhere to, nowhere to help them. No, um, yeah, she she'd passed it, away several years prior. So it was just so human and so awful and so, and evil. so long. So long. I, I think yeah, one of the things yeah. that yeah. has shocked white America into action is that we could hear him talk. This wasn't a sudden yeah. event. Someone wasn't shot. Someone wasn't. Uh, Someone didn't die under mysterious circumstances in police custody. We watched for nine minutes and we heard what he thought and felt. And so we, for the first time, we don't, we can't choose not to empathize. We, we've been given the horrific privilege of sharing the experience of the persecuted. At least, well, it's a lot harder to deny, deflect, evade, or turn our eyes away. There are still lots of white people who are doing this, but it's fewer mm-hmm. as a percentage. Um, I think of, I mean, white racism in America takes many forms. Um, one of the forms is... Um, Denying the reality of systemic racism, like for example in the in the in policing, denying it is just as long as one possibly can. Um, uh, you know, raising you know raising the deflecting questions like, well, what what what, what you know, none of us know what he actually did. Well, in this case, we did. You know, um, we we saw we saw everything we needed to see. Um, Kind of like the Ahmad Arbery thing, even when all the, in Georgia, even when all the facts were out, there was no justification whatsoever for what happened to that young man. Yeah. So we saw that one too. We saw a shooting, you know, right there. An ambush and a shooting right there on the streets of Brunswick, Georgia. So those two back to back, I think, is also part of what's happened here. Yeah, a a Um, lynching by civilians that almost went unprosecuted and yeah. then this uh, they've charged um the ex-officer uh with second degree murder which is almost I don't use this word um to to be light about it it's it's almost poetic because it perfectly expresses the reality of the situation the, the fancy language around second degree is that you, you've killed someone uh, without 
with intention, without med- without premeditation, and with depravity of mind. And so um, it, it wasn't premeditated. Yeah. He didn't go out to try to kill a black man that day. Um, at least not maybe this one specifically. I don't, maybe he did. I don't know. Um, probably not. <clears throat> but the fact that he didn't care that he was killing George Floyd. Yeah. That's um, the problem. Yeah. That That's what Black so, Lives Matter means. Is that right. they're thrown away. And much of the time, especially given the disproportionate power involved, not just white on black, but police on civilians, mm-hmm. um, you would get away with it. Right? Um, in this case, he, he apparently won't get away with it. And did you hear that the other three officers have now also been charged with aiding and abetting? Yes. So, so I guess they will all be taken in custody now and they will all be prosecuted. Um, and that, that's a good thing. But, and, and that's a direct result of the protests. I want to turn to the protests in a little bit, but, but I want to say that in Christian ethics, good Christian ethics, we, we always uh, pay attention to power, justice, peace, and order. And I actually wrote an essay that I may publish soon, may, maybe on Facebook or, or maybe in another place, but, um, but it goes something like this. Human nature is one of the oldest insights in Christian theology and ethics. Human nature is sufficiently depraved that that we need a criminal justice system and authorities to check us and deter us from doing wrong. However, those authorities themselves, precisely because they end up having coercive power, including the power of violence and guns, must be very carefully checked by other authorities and by the people themselves. And so, the old question is, who's watching the watchers? Right. Who's, who's checking the checkers? And one way you keep the criminal justice authorities checked is citizen oversight. Um, and there's been no greater uh, advance for citizen oversight in recent years than cell phone cameras. Yes. Um, but what cell phone cameras are doing, publicly revealing pieces that have long gone on, and revealing how often that they are disproportionately connected to race. It's amazing how difficult it is for white people to wrap their minds around systemic, historically transmitted patterns of injustice. We are such rank individualists in our theology and in our ethics that, remember, I was on a radio show on, uh, in Jackson, Tennessee, and any effort of me to describe that what happens in 2020 is organically related to what happened in 1920, 1820, and 1720 um, in terms of systemic power of racism, a lot of people are having none of it. They just can't think in those terms. That's one of, that's one of the most disturbing Thing yeah. about all of this. But anyway, so so the so the, the police do have a difficult job. Do have disproportionate firepower and um, general 
the power to harm and a lot of times get away with it because the benefit of the doubt the criminal justice system goes to the police rather than to the civilian. Right. And, and you have unions that protect and act to protect the interests of the police. So that's what unions do. They protect the employees that they represent. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a form of power that must be countervailed with other power. And the power of citizen oversight. I read some this week about citizen oversight boards and how they haven't often been very effective. The official boards that get set up, you know, Right, but what we've been what we've been seeing this week is a different kind of citizen oversight. First, cell phone camera, brilliantly shot. By the way, that was effective video. They knew what to look at, and they reporting, and they captured the truth in a way that could not be denied. Then, of course, power of citizen protest, um, which is another expression of citizen oversight in the. And so what do we want to say about the protest? The vastness of them? The nationwide blanket of protests in every major city? Every, all 50 of, states well, are represented. All states. Um, the interracial nature of the protest. Um, the solidarity across, across the races. The focusing on, um, on this issue of... Uh, state violence against black and brown bodies, um, black and brown people. Um, and now my concern, and what's interesting is, well, I'll get to concern in a second. What's interesting is that the people who say, ah, protests don't matter, uh, the charges in Minneapolis were just faint. Right. Uh, the first officer went from third-degree murder to second-degree murder. Well, the first thing that happened was four, four police officers were fired. That was it. Then, the first one, the guy who, who, who literally killed George Floyd, he finally got third-degree charge. But the other three were just fired. And now, he's got a second-degree charge, and the other three are arrested. Um, that's a direct result of citizen protest. And uh, all of a sudden, I was reading today about an eight-point program for police reform. That includes an end chokehold, spangle hold, a number of other things. I don't know where that agenda came from. This has been circulating for a while, but all of a sudden, it's a nationwide standard. This is what we want. And apparently, police chiefs and mayors, some cities are already agreeing to it. So, the so protest is, um, is yielding at least promises of policy reform. It also has yielded uh, criminal charges uh, in this case in, in Minneapolis. Um, it's a fantastic example of citizen pressure. I also think, hopefully, hopefully, for our African American brothers and sisters, there's so much anger after the George Floyd killing the sense that, that there's a, a massive community of people who want to who just demand to stop. Hopefully it is proven encouraging. I think that it is what I'm gathering from my book. Right. So concerns about the protests, because they haven't they haven't all gone the way you might expect. Um for several days, um, 
it appeared that um, the protests were becoming, well, they were. The protests were becoming riots. Right. You had, you had protests, and then you had looting and uh, just rioting. And um, there was a concern that there were people infiltrating protests uh, to do rioting, property damage, and looting, and that kind of thing. And, and so there's all kinds of problems with that. One is, um, while riots can be the language of desperation, riots can also be um, an opportunistic riot and looting. Mm-hmm. Opportunist, opportunistic uh, outsiders who come in as, as the chaos of the streets grows, as the police have trouble maintaining order, and as maybe you have a small number of protesters expressing their rage by breaking, you know, buildings, breaking into buildings and breaking glass and burning police cars, stuff like that. Then you have some others come in for, for their own reason. Basically, anarchy can erupt. So here comes the people who just want to loot. Here comes the people who want to make the protest look bad so as to evoke a more militarized response. Um, or, you know, here come, here come the people who just like to, to screw around and, and, and create anarchy and chaos, right? Yeah, it can be a so, cover. There's a smoke screen. Right. So um, whenever civil disobedience happens, there's always the possibility that it will devolve even or your protest within, within the, the legal limits of not civil disobedience. Anyway, there's always the possibility that it will devolve into chaos, riot, looting. And of course, some people don't know the difference between a peaceful protest and a riot because they're authoritarian. They, they can't tell the difference. They don't really recognize the legitimacy of political street protests. But there is such a thing as, you know, where it makes a transition into rioting and looting, and then that must be, um, must be suppressed. Um, then a lot of times when the rioting and looting gets suppressed, then the peaceful protest gets disrupted in ways that are a violation of our freedom to protest and assemble. And so that's a lot of what has been the discussion of the last several days. Yeah, and people get, they get lumped together. If you're out protesting, now people think that you're dangerous, that you're violent, that you're one of these uh, looters, that you're someone to be feared. Right. So that's one reason why protests do better if they have organized central leadership that knows how to do a protest and knows how to set proper limits on it and can discipline the protesters, right? Right. Which is what happened in the civil I was thinking about this yesterday. Where are the block captains? Apparently there are some. uh, Glenn Beck hosted a march a few years ago in Birmingham that was commemorating, uh, I think the the event was called something um, Bringing Back Love or Restoring Respect. It was something like that. Um, and it was commemorating the anniversary of uh, one of uh, the 60s civil rights MLK-led marches in Birmingham. But it's led by Glenn Beck. It's mostly church folks and conservatives that were coming out to this. And they still organized with block captains to make sure people stayed in line and the, mm-hmm. the, the narrative wouldn't be disrupted by people getting out of hand. I, I heard um. Um, a lament from a uh, what, the president of Morehouse here in Atlanta saying that if school was in session right now, 
he would have an army of leaders that could organize this, but that everyone's dispersed. They don't have a place uh, to congregate. They don't have yeah. a place to meet. They don't have a way to organize. They don't have their infrastructure. Yeah. So, so that's a really good observation. But there has been somewhat more chaos in, um, in some of the protests. And, uh, and, you know, some of the protest leaders have been very much concerned that the narrative was going to shift to, you know, a narrative of, of riot. But in the last couple of nights, my, from what I gather from the news reports that I've seen, it has gotten um, more under control. Anarchy has, has dropped. The protests have continued. And that's good news as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Um, and, and a lot of, you know, authoritative kind of mainstream voices have left the protests and the reason for that, including like Barack Obama and the military leaders Sports figures and George W. Bush I I, last night. George W. Bush. I think I saw Joel Osteen video of him at the Houston rally. Wow. For George Floyd. Um, saw that video yesterday. So, military leaders uh, saying that, you know, protest uh, is constitutionally protected and must not be threatened. About that. Do you have any further thoughts on modality of protests or the use of force or obstruction in protest? Um, I'll just say this. In Christian ethics, we, we teach and we study closely peaceful protests. It's an important part of the toolbox of social change. Um, Peaceful protest can be with, within the law, but it it can also be beyond the law if the, if local authorities do not allow adequate expression for protest, which they're supposed to, right? Yeah. Can, but if they say, go ahead. Can you talk to the the classic Romans passage? Is it Romans thirteen? Yeah. About yeah. the uh, the place of authority. I've been hearing that brought up some, and, and that always comes up when we're, we s- claim that something is unjust, unjust, that the law isn't isn't right. If you're going to protest something that's embedded, now you're resisting authority, and you're not respecting your leaders, and people can bring up that Romans 13 passage and thwart you with it because you're supposed to Protect, you're supposed to respect your leaders. Uh, God put them there. Romans 13 is Romans 13, 1 through 7 is a very popular resort passage. I say last resort passage for people who want uh, to defend an authoritarian stance towards law and government, especially when they like the president, right? Or when they like whoever's in charge, right? If if uh, all this being presided over by Barack Obama or Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton. Somehow, I don't think Romans 13 would be the likely passage that would be selected. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans 13 is a puzzling passage because uh, Paul does seem to be offering uh, a theology of the state and of state law that is absolutist. Um, submit to governing authorities, the authorities um, in place, have been placed there by God. Um, 
you rebel against the governing authorities, you rebel against God. Um, but then he goes on to say that they are there uh, basically for your sake to deter and punish evildoers and to protect the innocent. Um, so therefore, uh, submit to them um, uh, basically with gratitude for the role that they play. Um, a couple things went on there, I think. One was that there had been um, stirrings of, of um, revolt, especially on the part of the Jewish community of Rome, uh, in perceived revolt that had gotten uh, Jews kicked out of Rome not too long before he wrote that letter. And I think um, Paul was concerned uh, that Christians who were still mainly a Jewish community and were identified with the Jewish community would be um, lumped in as, as basically seditious. But he was trying to prevent that. It may also be that the very writing of the letter to the community in Rome um, and having that section in it was the idea would be, please be sure to share this with people who need to see it so they'll know that we're not seditious. In other words, mm. it might have been performative. Um, we, we're going to show that we're, we're, not, we're not troublemakers. But I think there's Theologically, and this, I'm not the first to notice this, Calvin noticed this, um, there, there's a little clue there. If the authorities exist to um, punish wrongdoers and to protect the innocent, if the authorities are instead hurting the innocent and protecting wrongdoers, then you might say, seductively, then they should be resisted. In other words, Paul has embedded a theology of, of at least potential resistance into his theology of the state. The authorities exist to do you good. Therefore, submit. But if the police are the ones who are choking the life out of an innocent person on the street, then they are not fulfilling their God-given mandate. They've lost that protection. They've lost that, they've lost that protection. They should be resisted, not for anarchy's sake, but for the sake of them being reminded of what their mandate is, um, so they'll reform and get it right in the future. So this line of reading, that's the Romans like 13, 3, 4, 3 and 4, um, has been taken so far as to be the basis for a theology of justified revolution, including by our own American revolutionaries. It's interesting that a country that was uh, birthed in a revolutionary war that was supported by lots and lots of Christians would have so many Christians today you can't even imagine breaking a single law in a protest because they interpret Romans 13 in a certain way. Right. It's sort so of... So Romans 13, Romans 13 is not, does not settle the question of whether you can break the law in protest. In fact, there's an awful lot of Christian theology and ethics about legitimate protests, just versus unjust laws, all of that. Well, that's 
that's about the time we have for this conversation, but we're going to keep it going. So keep your eye out for the next couple episodes because there's so much to unpack here. So I, I look forward to continuing this conversation with you, dear listener, and uh, with David. So David, thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. I love doing these conversations with you, and I'm grateful for our listeners who um, who pay such close attention to what we have to say. Absolutely, and there's there's a lot to pay attention to, not just here, but th- this is a time for Christian ethics. It really is. It, it sure is. And this is the Kingdom Ethics Podcast, a production of Mercy University Center for Theology and Public Life. All right, we'll. Uh, See you soon. Keep your eyes up for the next episode. We're basically just going to keep it going.